before we move to our next topic, just some caution. Your hands hitting the table. It's going to cough. You're a very handsy person. No, it's getting getting caught on the mic. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of thumping and so on. It's, It'll pick it up. But I know you're a very hands guy when you talk. But beware of the pounding of the table or I even the fingers. I won't pound the table no that's more. All. I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> no, it's a it's a habit. I mean, that's just that's we a, we handsy people. James, you're fired. No, I know. We man. can't fire him. He's volunteering. <laughs> it's not possible. <laughs> One the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to a bonus episode of Black, White, and Blue in the South, a podcast discussing democratic politics with a Southern flair. I'm Bill Kimler. I'm Jamil Brooks. Jamil and I are on a holiday break, but we have quite a bit of leftover material that just couldn't fit into our previously recorded episodes, so we're going to cobble these pieces together and give you a little Christmas miracle of an episode. Since these segments span the entirety of our podcast career, all five months of it, you'll notice various changes in the quality of the recordings. If that causes you any grief, you can request a full refund from Jamil for the money you paid to hear our podcast. You can always drop us a note at blackwhiteblueinthesouth at gmail.com. Send us your comments, questions, topic ideas. You can pick a subject and have us run with it. We've got quite a backlog of things to talk about when we return, so let us know what's important to you. You can also follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and even threads. Every day, we put out short clips and videos of our podcast for you to enjoy. We have a Linktree page that can connect you to everything, so look at those show notes where we have that and links to all material mentioned in today's episode. To quote Senator Cory Booker, who we got a chance to see in person yesterday, he said, quote, I think that if America hasn't broken your heart, you don't love her very much. Wow. Do you remember him saying that? I did. I almost dropped a tear because that thing hit home. In fact, I want to play about a three-minute segment of Cory Booker's speech that I was able to record. Jamil and I went to the Spratt Issues Conference put on by the South Carolina Democratic Party up in Spartanburg. And Senator Cory Booker had a town hall where he sat on stage for over two hours. He answered questions. He spoke. He told stories. Boy, how would you describe this event? He definitely has a craft to being one of the best storytellers ever. Relevance is just seeps from him. That man has a true passion. Well, I'm going to play a short clip of Cory Booker. He retold the scenario of when he was in the midst of the January 6th insurrection. And this is kind of a behind the scenes view of where his mind was at and what he did and how he felt. So here is Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey bodies safely out of this chamber and, and finally they figure it out they get a, an escape route for us and then me and Mark Kelly decide that we're going to wait to make sure everybody gets off the floor and watch our six to make sure if any of that mob breaks through we can fight them and delay them from getting toward for elder colleagues. I don't know if that conversation either has ever been held in American history on the Senate floor. Eventually, everybody got off. I checked on the on the press that's still stuck in the gallery and then went off. First thing I see is an officer on the ground, and along the escape route, I saw three injured officers. 
I get to this room where they're holding us, and it was actually close to my official office, so I talked my way out into my office, and I barricade myself. Again, I don't know if this has ever happened in American history, where the most powerful nation on the planet has their legislative body barricading themselves in their room, in their offices. I put furniture in front of my outside door. I go inside, put furniture in front of my inside office, and then I turn around to turn on the TV. And the first image I saw broke me. I think that we all carry scars. I don't think you could have hope for America without feeling scars. In fact, I think if America hasn't broken your heart, you don't love her enough. It's heartbreaking things that are happening in our country that shouldn't happen. And on this day, my heart was broken. My soul was scarred because the first image I saw on that TV, right feet from where I was sitting, was the Confederate flag. And I thought of my daddy from Hendersonville and what he would have thought if he was still alive. Seeing with bravado the Confederate flag being waved in our capital. You know, the Confederates, they tried to take the capital. It's one of the reasons for the Battle of Gettysburg, but they were rebuffed by the Union Army. These traitors to our nation were stopped. But now, generations later, the flag is waving with bravado. And more than that, there are t-shirts that people were wearing, Camp Auschwitz, celebrating the slaughter of millions of Jews. My friends that are Capitol Police officers in the building, they told me awful stories about the racial epithets they were being called, the hate that invaded our capital, the violence that invaded our capital. A Capitol Police officer injured that day, died of those injuries, was actually from New Jersey. His name's Brian Sittick. You could hear a pin drop in that room as he was recounting that story. Did you see on the news that our new House Speaker, Congressman Mike Johnson, the the Speaker of the House, has made this grand gesture to the delight of all of the MAGA minions that they're releasing tens of thousands of hours of footage from that day, from all the cameras in the area, and they're releasing it, making it available to the public. The right-wing conspiracy theorists are just over themselves in happiness. By the way, all that was released to Tucker Carlson already, and nothing new came of it. But now that it's released to the public, here's what's happening. I'm seeing it in all the social media feeds already. You've got people who are picking clips randomly from all of these hours of footage, misinterpreting what they're seeing, throwing a theory that there was a cover-up, that this was the FBI or the police who actually instigated everything, that the rioters were not Trump supporters. They were actually planted by liberals to, to instigate this riot. There was a post on X from a social media guy called Joel Altman. He's a, a right-wing social media conspiracy theorist. He's even got that little verified check mark next to his name, you know, the one you pay Elon Musk eight bucks a month for. He posted the following this morning, which has over a million views already. He wrote, quote, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is a badge with a red hat and fully disguised. So it shows a blurry image of a guy wearing a red hat, a mask over his face, and he's holding up something in his hand that's black, rectangular, and has kind of some sort of etching or marking on the front of it, and says that is a police badge. What happened was, is that a million people commented, they zoomed in, the guy's carrying a vape. 
You can see the logo on this thing in his hand. It is a vaping device. But nevertheless, there were also an equal number of people going, aha, see, we told you. Conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy. Ah, uh, distraction. They knew exactly what they were doing when they released that. There are some voluntary fools out there, and that's what a lot of those people are willing to be right now. Yeah, I agree. And I love the Internet detectives because they found who this guy was. This guy has already been charged and locked up because he had stolen out of Nancy Pelosi's office a photo that was hanging on her wall. They found it in his possession. His ass is in jail right now. But you know what? Did this guy who posted that this was a police officer with a badge, did he retract? Did he go, oh, my bad? No, it just sits out there with the claim. Very few people actually go to the comments to look up the truth or do their own research. And thus, these conspiracy theories spread. As I was listening to Senator Booker talking about those moments, my mind immediately went to the front runner for the Republican Party at his rallies now is making everyone stand and put their hand over their heart and sing the rendition of the national anthem from the January 6th violators. <laughs> and it's kind of like, are you kidding me? Now, what would Colin Kaepernick think about that? Right. You know, it's, you know and, and they're literally letting those people have a stage. And you just played what truly happened and was experienced. Exactly. I want to give a big thank you to Chris Wilson of the Old Cranky Bones podcast for some super kind words he gave us on his show recently. Here's what he had to say. Hey, folks, before we go this week, I'd be remiss if I didn't take an opportunity to give a shout out to a couple of really awesome podcasts um, that I have subscribed to and have been listening to as of late. The first one I want to tell you about is called Black, White, and Blue in the South. This is an awesome show. Um, it's co-hosted by Bill Kindler and Dr. Jamil Brooks, a couple of local progressive Democrats who record the show locally here in my Greenwood, South Carolina area. Some blue dots in a red state, if you will. Uh, it's just a fantastic show. The, the hosts have an incredible dynamic when they get together and they record. They talk about the local political scene, the national political scene, what's going on here in the state of South Carolina, um, society, culture, things of that nature. And I've just really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, very well produced, well done show. And I want to say thank you to Jamil and to Bill um, for the fantastic job you guys have done on this podcast, if you happen to be listening today. I think they are um, off-season right now with a new season in the podcast returning, coming back, I believe, in January. But that does not mean that you can't go ahead and listen to the episodes that are already out there. So Black, White, and Blue in the South, check it out. I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it. Give it a listen. I know I've been loving it. So, yeah, we're going to have to have him on one of our episodes in 2024. He's an interesting fella. So give him a listen and let us know what you think. As you know, Jamil and I are running for office. I for State House District 13 in South Carolina. Yes. And Jamil for the next door district, 12, also yeah. in South Carolina. And we're going to give you a quick update as we do weekly as to how our campaigns are going. I would like to open up with the Spratt Issues Conference. We touched on that briefly with Senator Cory Booker. Yeah. Jamil and I were able to make it yesterday. And Jamil, you've gotten a lot of education online. Is that correct? 
Yeah. Yeah. And you teach online as well? I do. It tells because you got lost on campus. <laughs> so being physically <laughs> at, at, uh, at the university was a Wofford State, right? That's where we were at. We were at Wofford and you were lost about listen, three hours around listen, campus trying listen. to find the right building. Hold on. Let me tell you what we're not going to do. You can tell you didn't go to a physical school. <laughs> First of all, I went to Lander University on ground and our buildings at Lander are appropriately labeled. So if you get an invite, you're going to know where to go. That thing did not give me a true invite. And so, yes, I was frustrated. I just wanted to sit there. And then I asked a guy, but we're in South Carolina. Where's the building? <laughs> and he says, you go up there and you turn to the right and then you're going to go to a light. Sir, there were three freaking lights. Which light do you want me to turn in next? So, yes, I went in panic mode, but Bill saved me. We called each other on the phone. We were talking and she, I think you had said that you were giving up and going home. I was done. I was right there, and I was just like, forget this. I'm going to have to hear about it. Made it all the way up to Spartanburg and got lost on campus. But it was a great program put on by the South Carolina Democratic Party. This is the second of three Spratt-issued conferences that they're holding throughout the state. There were three panel discussions plus a lunch and a lot of networking and getting to meet and greet with people. The first panel episode was about women's rights, especially around reproductive health care. Yeah. It involved Vicki Ringer, Representative Rosalind Henderson Myers, Representative Chandra Dillard, Dr. Don Bingham, who also ran for office back in 2020, and Ashley Lido from REN, that's the Women's Rights and Empowerment Network. They gave about an hour and a half talk, took some questions from the audience, and it was absolutely enlightening. I don't know if South Carolina is going to be releasing or the the state party will release that video, Uh, but if it is, we'll be sure to show it to you because there was a lot of good information shared. The second panel right after lunch was, or right before lunch, was about advocacy and action in local communities. And it was all African-American panel, uh, local leaders in healthcare, on the, the, the county council, in real estate, and in education. And they talked about a wide variety of issues of dealing with racial equality and access to services and, and, and all these things. It was very interesting. And I made a connection with one of them that was Tootie Holmes. Hmm. Tootie runs Tootie Holmes Realty. And her specialty is affordable housing. Oh, good. And you bet I guess what I asked her to do. I know. I'm having her come down to Greenwood (laughs) and speak to the Greenwood County Democrats at one of our breakfast meetings. So we'll probably see her in the new year. Then finally was Senator Cory Booker. So what was your overall impression, Jamil, of the senator? I'm so glad Bill did not let me turn around. Let me just say that. I will tell you that once I heard his talk, it was definitely something that I wish more South Carolinians can hear, especially with being first in the nation, because it confirms that there is a strong support, there is a plan, and that everyone who is someone that is working on the behalf of the Democratic Party is in position, strong, willing, ready, and able to hold their positions. This is a man who sees President Biden day in and day out, and he's able to evaluate and come back and tell those of us who only get glimpsed that have been put out by the media that, hey, what you're seeing is truly not an image or a reflection of the strength of the man that stands at the head of this country. Now, Senator Booker, before he was senator from New Jersey, he was the mayor of Newark. And he told the story of the hurricane that ripped up the coast and tore his city apart. And this was back under Barack Obama's administration. And Governor Chris Christie was in charge of New Jersey at the time. And just some amazing tales. He is a walking 
quote library. Yeah. My hand was raw as I was writing down all these one-liners that he gave. I'm going to share a few of them with you now. He said the following. Let me know which one was your favorite. Okay, go. He said, our biggest challenge is not the opposition, but the apathy. Ooh, that's deep. Right. Mm. He had them one after another, so you barely had time to digest what he said. He said, you can't love your country unless you love your fellow countrymen and women. Put that on a shirt. Okay, go ahead. Mm. ahead. (laughs) We're going to have a whole closet full of shirts by the end of this. We like shirts. This was one of my favorites. He said, I miss Obama. Yeah. I miss Obama. (laughs) And I miss her husband, too. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Love it. Yeah. He said, quote, it's the stupidest question in America. When the White House operator calls you and says, will you hold for the president of the United States? It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm holding right what now. What kind of question is that? Yeah. He said, and I don't know that this is his original quote because I think I've heard it before. Okay. He said, poverty is not a moral condition. It is a policy choice. Ooh. Which is so true. Yeah. He said, don't underestimate the power of doing the small thing over and over. Yeah. And I love it. He says, whatever you do, just keep doing it. You never know when it turns into something huge. Yeah. He said, people ask him, what has Joe Biden done? And he says, how much time you got? Now, that's a conversation that everybody need to pause for. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then the last one I captured, he said, the power of the people is always greater than the people in power. Uh, Not that. (laughs) (laughs) There's your shirt. That's it. That was it for me. Uh, The networking was really neat, and I wish you had been able to make the first half, Jamil. I know you had another engagement that maybe you'll talk about. Yeah. But I got to meet a couple of other future House candidates in South Carolina. I met John McCarthy, who announced that he wants to run for House District 27. Uh, First time meeting him, he seemed like a very nice gentleman. There was another one whose name I'm not going to share yet because he hasn't announced, but he wants to run for House District 33. So this is all here in the upstate area. And I gave him our contact info and he'll be reaching out to us because he's a first time candidate as well. And you know what? We're here to help each other out. Yes, we are. And then I'm going to end with another story that just boggled my mind, not even politically related, but just shows you what a small freaking world we live in. So you met Matt Villardebo. I did. So he was a House candidate up in York County area last year. That's how I got to know him. And we became friendly and and kept in touch and text each other and talk to each other regularly. He posted on Facebook a picture that a selfie that he took of the three of us, you, me and Matt. Great picture, lovely picture, appreciated it. And then the comments under that picture, one guy wrote and, and he went, didn't go by a real name. He went by you know, hiking bear or hiking Papa bear. That was, that was his online name. He writes, I know Bill, how's he doing? I went, I want to go check this guy out if he exactly. knows me. So I, I And his did, name is Hiking Bear. Yeah, I know, right? Okay. I was a little nervous clicking. Yeah. Papa Bear. But it turns out this guy was my son's Boy Scout leader up in Binghamton, New York from over 10 years ago when I lived up there. Wow. He and I, you know, worked on the Boy Scout activities. We went hiking and camping together. And he was my son's troop leader for about three or four years that he was in the Boy Scouts. And here he is commenting on Matt Villardebo's photo of the three of us. Wow. How small of a world is that? And I I asked him, I was like, how do you know Matt? And apparently Matt 
was on this guy's podcast. He has a special podcast dedicated to hiking all over the world. And Matt Villardebo, I think he hiked the Appalachian Trail. Oh, wow. And so he got on this guy's podcast and they got to know each other. And it turns out was my son's Boy Scout leader. It is a small world. It is. It makes me want to go rethink everything I did online. (laughs) (laughs) Better check to see, you know, maybe that, that nun who taught me in second grade. Uh, she's watching what I'm doing too. Like, oops. Can't put the toothpaste back into the tube. Yeah, no, it's, it's, out. It's, it's out. It's we, done. We, we try though. We try yeah. to shove that yeah. crap back in. It's done. It's done. All right, let's now move into the news. For up to the minute reports, stay tuned to this station. Now the news. The topic of environmental racism has been popping up in my news feeds quite a bit lately. And not just locally, but also on a national level. So I want to talk about it nationally and then bring it locally, even all the way down to Greenwood, because I can tell you if it's happening here in Greenwood, South Carolina, it's likely happening in your neck of the woods. But I'm going to start in Texas, specifically in Fort Worth, because in recent weeks, Fort Worth residents, which is mostly African-American residents, have come out of their houses and started to push back against all this industrial development that are happening in their neck of the woods. They have been protesting a whole bunch of commercial and industrial companies that are being placed in building manufacturing and industrial plants right next to black and brown communities and causing health issues. So they are seeing a rise in asthma. They're seeing a rise in kidney failure. They're seeing a rise in general illness and respiratory issues and deaths in the area. And they have had enough of it. Now, the reason that the state legislators always bring and the community leaders always bring is, hey, we're going to bring jobs into your neck of the woods. Jobs, jobs, jobs. Don't matter that grandma can't breathe or that half your population are on breathing machines. Mm-hmm. But hey, the people of Fort Worth, are protesting and they're coming out and they're speaking out against it and it has made national news. Good job, Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. But that's not just Fort Worth, Texas. South Carolina headline recently, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, rips South Carolina agency for letting industry increase pollution near black neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So get this, and this is why we have a federal government because sometimes the state government just ain't right and you need somebody to watch the state governments Mm -hmm. so here's the story the south carolina department of health and environmental control that would be dhec did not follow federal requirements when it changed a permit for century aluminum that's the company to release more particulate matter near charleston this company sought permission and got a permit from the state to put more pollutants into the Ain't air. That's some crap. DHEC skipped a lot of things they were supposed to do. They did not give it the public review that was needed before they granted this approval to make a change. They did not put in a public notice that there would be an increase in air pollution. This was going to be a 50% increase in particulate matter that they gave this permit for, and the EPA came back and said, listen, you ain't allowed to do that. Now, here are some stats about the residents in that area. More than 40% of people living within three miles of that plant 
are African-American mm. and 29% are considered low income. Mm-hmm. So when you hear legislators tout, we bring jobs, you know, we've grown industry. Mm-hmm. You have to ask, well, what kind of industry? Is it a, an industry that is creating environmental hazard? And if so, where do they put this industry? And it's not going to be any surprise. They're going to put it into the poor and rural areas because the country club folk are not going to put up with that type of industry being in their neck of the woods. But, you know, the country club folk don't have to worry about it because you're going to make sure like the people in the House and the Senate are going to make sure they consider those individuals and don't put it there. And that's what's meant by environmental racism, mm-hmm. right? So when you increase pollutants and you put dangerous plants in areas mm-hmm. that are disproportionately one race or another, that's a problem. So let's bring it even more local. Oh, Lord. Let's bring it down to Greenwood. Come on. So over the past couple of years, the South Carolina legislators have enacted a couple of rules to change some things that are not for the better. I'll start with one industry called the plastics melting industry. So you've got plastic goods and there are, are companies out there that go and melt them down. And South Carolina has been trying to recruit these companies into our state. They do so by changing the rule and saying, we are going to treat them not as a, um, there's a category where they would be treated like as waste management, which is what they were before, but they're going to treat them as manufacturers. So Hmm. a recycling plant is normally considered waste management. But for these plastic melters specifically, they carved out a new definition and said, we're going to treat you as a manufacturer. And therefore the standards that apply to you don't have to apply anymore. And one of the biggest standards was as a waste uh, industry, you have to put up a huge monetary bond in the case of a major pollution event or a spillage that this money could then be used for the cleanup effort. They have waived that requirement for the plastic melting industry. So who gonna clean it up? Well, that's the problem. That is the problem. So I'm going to quote Senator Billy Garrett. One of the first things he got involved in after he became senator uh, from McCormick and Greenwood, got involved in this plastics melting discussion and sponsored a bill. And he says, before they spend millions, they want to make sure that this is a convenient place, a cooperative place, a safe place for them to invest that kind of money. He insists that this industry will help the economy get this particularly in rural areas that badly need jobs. So by redefining what category plastic melting uh, falls into, they're now trying to put this into the very areas that would be poisoned by it. So what's the danger of plastic melting? Well, here's the complaints. The plastic waste is flammable. These things are so toxically flammable that if a fire were to occur, now on a good day, Okay, maybe they're fine. But on a bad day, and guess what days happen? This whole plant lights up, creating toxic fumes that spread throughout the neighborhood. But you know what? Don't worry, because guess where this plant is? Mm -hmm. It's in a rural neighborhood. Mm. No harm, no foul, Mm. right? The rich voters didn't uh, get affected by this. Only the poor rural folk. Mm. Plastic-fueled fires have occurred before in South Carolina. In fact, there was a massive trash pile in the low country. Do you remember this? This trash pile was on fire for months. (laughs) For months. Burns forever. Now, Billy Garrett wants to bring this into Greenwood and McCormick. I think he said what he said, and it was very clear. He wanted to make sure that the business was protected and safe, but he forgot about his constituents. He called himself, this 
is funny. Garrett, who described himself as an environmentalist, said that these cleanup bonds will be a deal breaker in bringing these industries here. And he wants to do away with those bonds. Meanwhile, he calls himself an environmentalist, but the conservation voters of South Carolina, the CVSC, they gave Garrett a 67% rating in his voting record on conservation related issues. Now, you've been to school. Would you get a test score of a 67? Are you waving that paper around? No, that's my secret. <laughs> but, but Garrett looks at that and he says, wow. 67%, I'm an environmentalist. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. That's real crazy. But it doesn't stop there. Can I keep going? Oh, God. Yeah, go ahead. So we we've got go. plastic melting, but there's a, and, and right now there hasn't been a plastic melting plant that I'm aware of. I looked. I didn't see one open up in our county yet. Okay. But still, the rule got signed into law and one could open and we need to watch out for it. Do you live in a rural area, James? I do. Okay, so you let me know if there's any plastic melting happening in your neck of the woods, all right? I will let you know. But there's another industry, and that has to do with wood pellet factories. Mm -hmm. So Europe specifically has a strong appetite for condensed wood pellets to fuel their industries. And South Carolina and North Carolina, too, for that matter, have created industry here to produce those wood pellets. Mm. And those wood pellets go through a process that involve a lot of chemicals and a lot of dangerous things that are toxic to the environment. And in Greenwood County, Mm. So now we're talking where you and I live. There is already an operation from Inviva. You've heard of them. Yeah. Right. So they're good corporate neighbors. I see they sponsor the Boys and Girls Club activities and they're doing a lot of uh, uh, things all over the place. But they do wood pellets as well. And they put in a request back in 2021 to expand their wood pellet factory uh, operations. It actually sits right in the middle of a community of color. More than half the people that live within a mile of that plant are non-white. More than half are non-white and 75% are low income. Hmm. So yes, they may produce a couple dozen jobs for you, but at the same time, they are doing a toxic process that is very unstable and dangerous for the environment. Yep. So you working every day from that job. A couple dozen And getting ready to have to pay a whole bunch of doctor bills. A study found that of 32 southeastern pellet production facilities, 18 of them, more than half, were located in environmental justice communities, which means areas that have high poverty and high non-white populations. More than half of them are located there. And in fact, not only did did Inviva expand, there was another company, I think it was called U.S. Biomass, that wanted to open up shop in 96 and do the exact same thing, do some more of this wood pellet processing. Wow. So it's right in our backyard. And even if you're not in Greenwood, you need to take a look at the industries that are opening up in your area and where they are opening. I see the governor responded in that when we're proud to celebrate the investment in South Carolina and our people. Which people would he be referring to? Anytime a company is able to set up shop here, it proves that what we already know, that we have one of the most competitive business environments in the world and a workforce that can get the job done. I mean, what's Flint, Michigan in the water? Uh, Mm -hmm. Right. Jackson, Mm -hmm. Mississippi. Yeah. They're slow to move. But East Palestine, Ohio, you would have thought it was a war when that train derailed. Mm -hmm. Not only was it the train company, Norfolk's job, but it was the, res- the the responsibility of the whole United States to help those low income people. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's color based. It's most poverty is poverty, like you said, Jamil. But yeah, it's still more attention given to uh, poverty 
when it's of the same hue as the the policymakers. And and, and to the fact of what's going on with the the laws being changed, that's just called legalizing corruption. And that comes from Citizens United that we'll all be paying for for the rest of our lives. They make laws to legalize the corruption. Yeah. So they can sleep at night. Well, James, I appreciate you taking the topic and then connecting it 10 dots down the road and tying it all together. Yeah, that's it. I just took the scenic route. I, I got to imagine what your basement looks like. Do you got like pictures up on the board with string tying everything together? And no, I, I usually links? don't remember where I went. You know, I just, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know what they say: if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Entertainment and, and other food venues in South Carolina are experiencing a crisis. I had a chance and an opportunity to speak with a number of local owners. This is a very real issue for them. So we're talking about liquor liability laws in South Carolina. And it was interesting because on the surface, you know, you may have a certain opinion about, yeah, you know, a bar who serves somebody too much booze and then they go out and, and kill a bunch of kids in a car accident. There should definitely be some responsibility there. And, and that's the mentality that I think most people have. But as you dig into what the law actually does and what has happened to our entertainment venues and food venues throughout the state, it's actually a disaster mm. for small business. So let me uh, explain as best I can. And of course, please look at the show notes because you will hear a lot or you'll see a lot more information laid out for you. But here's the crux of the issue. You get a person decides to go to an Applebee's at noon and, and has a, a margarita there or whatever the Applebee's drink is and just has one. Okay. Right. And, and a full meal and then they go on but then they stop at another place they stop at a local bar restaurant and have an appetizer and they have a couple of beers and then they stop somewhere else and by the end of the night they're at their fifth place and they're completely wasted and then they get into an accident and somebody tragically dies right so that's just awful well along the way uh the law states that every one of the stops that person made whether it was the first stop of the day that occurred 10 hours ago or whether it was the last stop where he drank most of the alcohol, all of them are fully liable and can be sued separately for the accident Mm. that occurred. And on the surface, but that doesn't sound very fair, does it? Mm -mm. So that means that that Applebee's at the very beginning could be liable for millions of dollars for something that happened after consuming a gallon of alcohol later in the day. In fact, it gets even worse. That person could have taken a couple of Xanax and then gone and had a beer, got into an accident, and then now that uh, that bar is fully responsible and can be sued for millions of dollars. Wow. As a result, because this is a very real threat, the insurance industry in this state who puts up the, the liquor insurance, because you're required to have that for a liquor license, they've left the state. And now it's down to just two providers. And realistically, I was told it's just one provider and the other is not even issuing new insurance claims anymore. Wow. And therefore, they've jacked the price up. They've jacked it up. And the way that the scenario was related in print, Andy Brack in the Charleston City paper starts by saying, imagine being at work today, literally minding your own business, which is a bar, when you learn that in three days, your liability insurance is going to go up six times from Mm. 17,000 a year to more than 100,000 a year. That is not a hypothetical scenario. That is actually happening across the state. Mm. And these small business owners, 
they don't have that extra $100,000 lying around to be able to, to do insurance. And again, it's not just bars and restaurants, but let's say you're going to a concert or you're going to some sort of event with, with musicians that are playing. And by the way, these places, these are the primary places where musicians can go perform their services. And nobody's going to go out there if they can't have a beer or a cocktail and, and watch their favorite band play. So they're starting to cancel all of these events. Restaurants are closing down. Um, I've got a note out of Greenville. A string of local restaurants have already announced their closing Yeah. because they can no longer afford these insurance rates and if they can't serve at the bar, they don't have a business. So they're deciding to close up shop. So let's look at the, the relationship between this article and the one you just gave me. So when we look at environmental racism, what we do is we reduce the ownership of wrongdoing. So we say you can burn plastics, but we're not going to charge you if there is something that transpires later on. And that is a way of South Carolina doing good business. But in the very next article you give me, you show that South Carolina's leaders are not even protecting its small business owners. Instead, they're making it more difficult for them to operate. Yeah. That, that's something wrong it's there. It's backwards. So you're going to protect the, you want to look out for the people who are coming that are not here every day to make sure that you can trump on the people that are here every day. That's a problem in itself. So what can lawmakers do about this? Well, Representative Stuart Jones from Lawrence County, and he's a guy that I personally do not respect. Uh, to his credit, he has put out a bill that makes it a little more fair as to where does the liability sit. Now, some bar owners are not blameless. You know, obviously, if somebody is completely impaired and you continue to serve them alcohol, there should be liability there. Yeah. But it spreads it out. In fact, the Senate has a, another bill where they actually do a mathematical calculation that says, you know, the first restaurant's re- uh, liable for 5%, you know, and then and so on, some sort of sliding scale. They worked it all out with math. But at least there's a pair of pieces of legislation, both from the Senate and the House, to address this and make it a little more clear as to who's liable and who's not. But what they don't do is anything that assures the restaurant owners that the insurance companies lower their premiums. Yeah. It does nothing. It, It certainly does alleviate the liability question. But it does not alleviate the insurance question. But can it? Because if the if the victim's family can sue, the insurance company has to be, have to have you know recouped enough to be able to pay what they're going to be able to ask for. Well, in the law, you can dictate maximum amounts of damages that can be awarded for any violation of a law. Yeah, but they so haven't. That, so that's something they can do, but they didn't. Yeah. As far as I could tell, they haven't put any cap on it or required um, insurance agents to say, listen, the premium can be no more than 50000 let's say, yeah. or put a cap on the insurance side. John McCravey was quoted in a local paper, says that the current liability insurance requirements shouldn't be touched. He's not in favor of the law changing. He's he's fine with being able to sue everybody for everything. And that's kind of the problem that you have a lawmaking body that has a lot of lawyers involved. Yeah. Personal injury lawyers who yeah. stand to make themselves hundreds of thousands of dollars exactly. in these types of cases. So you're really putting the fox guarding the hen house in this case. I know. I thought collusion when I heard that. He would say that. I could see him saying well, Can that. I do a tie-in? Yeah, tie-in. If Bill don't get mad at me. Tie-in. Okay, so... That just shows you the power of the lobby. Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving yeah. pushes a lot of that to, to the point where they're having this, the liabilities like they are. Conversely, the NRA is saying, well, guns don't kill people. People kill people. You can't sue the manufacturer. And that kind of shows 
why we need to take the big money out of politics, mm. uh, because it's it's not the will of the people. It's the will of the lobby. Mm, that's that's powerful. That's what I think. Yeah. And I'm, I brought it back, though. Bill. I, I, I was waiting for you to tie it to the Kennedy assassination. Well, no. well so I'm a little give me time. To be, to be quite honest, you let, you let me down after that big buildup. But actually, wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you look at Alabama, they have lowered the liability. Because they know if they keep going up with the liability, well, if the alcohol is responsible, then the gun on the manufacturers are responsible. Yeah. So they're moving it away from that. So in the long game that they play, they won't be able to get to a point where they say, okay, now we're going to sue the manufacturers if we're going to hold the bar owner yeah. responsible. Yeah. Because I'm still trying to wrap my head around how can we say bar number one I don't like that. is responsible for what a person does after bar number four? How does bar number one know you plan to go to three other bars? What happened to personal responsibility? Who is answering <laughs> that question? Like, so if I'm a bar owner and I, you know, I could easily say, because I know I've been to some places where because of what the drink is made of, they'll tell you you have a two drink minimum because it's supposed to be of stronger quality or more potent. So bars can do that, but you still can't be responsible as a bar owner for what a person does two or three stops after you. That's kind of like the husband and wife that were getting married and they were on the golf cart and the drunk driver who was sloppy drunk ran over and killed the wife. Mm. I believe that lawsuit was against the the, the bar, the that, bar that, owners. that yeah. the driver had attended prior. Yes, yes it was. And again, I think the the proposal put out there by Stuart Jones and, and others, I thought, was actually very fair. I read it, and there's a link to it in our show notes. And there is still liability for the bar that if the person is, or if the, if the patron is obviously impaired, to continue to serve that would make that bar and that person, uh, the, the bartender, liable personally for it. And that makes sense. But it does clean up some of that chain of custody stuff uh, going down the path. The problem is, is that that legislation was introduced right at the end of the last session earlier this year Mm -hmm. before all the lawmakers went home for the year. So it didn't go anywhere. And meanwhile, the existing venues are struggling. They're struggling today and many aren't able to make it. And they've asked for special session to see if we can't get this passed. They call special sessions for abortion bills. They got no problem coming in over the summer to work on that. But here are small businesses across the state in every corner of South Carolina that are struggling to stay open. Many haven't. uh, And now they just have to wait patiently and in and, and January when the session comes back, hope that this bill gets fast tracked, gets heard, gets signed into law. And uh, we'll have to see who opposes it, who approves it and keep an eye on it. So we will keep that eye on it for you. And we will follow up next year to see where this goes. And hopefully we'll still have places to go eat come 2024. I like that. James says the big money, take the big money out of the picture. We wish you a happy Thanksgiving, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, happy Kwanzaa, and happy New Year. We will see you in 2024. Take care. The end. The preceding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2023, all rights reserved.